Hey, good morning. Uh, I don't usually get to stand up here. My name is Lucas. I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and I oversee missions. And uh, last week, we did have our missions conference, and I'm so, I hope you were able to be here. We had a, a fantastic group of speakers in the adult Bible classes, and then uh, Dr. Chris Nonakin was here as our keynote speaker. He gave us, uh, I thought, a very powerful, a very timely message on being on mission. Um, and he reminded us of, of the Apostle Paul's single-minded focus to reach the lost by all means possible. And I don't know what stood out for you. What, something that stood out for me was uh, the quote from Stephen Covey that he used, uh, that the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. If that's confusing, let me say it one more time. The, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That as believers... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a mission. And it's not optional. You don't opt in or opt out. Like by virtue of being a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given a mission. And that is to be your main thing. A mission to advance the gospel in word and deed. And so this week, I, wanna, I have been thinking about this some. And uh, this morning, I kind of want to build on that theme, if you will. And I want to consider what does it look like in our lives, to keep the main thing the main thing. And is, is that even possible? I mean, it's one thing for Paul, he was uniquely called, and it's one thing when you, when you consider Paul's environment, his circumstances. I don't know if you've noticed, but our world does not resemble much of Paul's world. There's so much that's changed. When Paul wasn't dealing with social media, he wasn't dealing with 24-hour news cycles or the global markets or select sports. Okay, so his world looked really different from ours. In many, many ways. And so is it even realistic for us in our world to have this type of focus, to be on mission, to advance the gospel? And if, if it is, then what would that look like? How would that look in our lives that are incredibly complex and incredibly busy? And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians 1. And we'll look at a, a passage here where, where Paul is... Um, going to say some things that I think from that we can draw out a little bit of this picture of what does it look like to keep the main thing, the main thing. So Philippians 1, as you turn there, let me give you a little context. Paul is writing from prison. We think he was imprisoned in Rome. He's been thrown in chains. He's literally chained to a guard. And he's writing back to the church at Philippi. And he's telling them how he's doing. But what's interesting, you'll, you'll notice, is he says very little about how he's doing because he has other agendas at heart. So chapter one, starting at verse 12, let me just read this passage to us. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put in here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that, uh, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. So, I mean, just consider Paul's circumstances. Like, you read these verses, 
And you can't escape Paul's single-minded ambition to advance the gospel. I mean, he starts out, he says, what has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. What has happened to Paul? Well, if you think about his life, all kinds of things happened to Paul. I mean, he's shipwrecked, he's beaten, he's flogged. He goes days without eating and, and sleepless nights and all the rest, discomfort after discomfort after discomfort. He's left for dead. And most recently here, he's been arrested and he's on trial and he's, he's in chains. And he says, yeah, yeah, it's all, it's all good. It's all about the gospel. And if that's not enough, on top of that, so there's persecution outside of the church where he's been arrested and now he's in prison or he's in chains. And on top of that, though, within the church even, there's persecution. There's these people who, not out of love for Jesus or out of love for Paul, but they are, are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition, in fact, to, to hurt Paul, which sounds really strange, right? I mean, if you want to hurt Paul, I can think of better ways to do it. Paul, I'm going to hurt you by preaching Jesus. Oh, no. Please, not that. See, here's what I think happened. There was this church in Rome, and there were some hotshot leaders and they were preaching and they were teaching and everybody was coming to them as the theological and spiritual leaders. And then Paul shows up, Paul comes to town and suddenly everybody wants to know what Paul thinks and they're not coming to these guys anymore. And so they're like, okay, this is our chance. He's in, in chains and so now we're gonna preach the gospel. We're gonna preach Jesus and we're gonna one up Paul. Praise God, that never happens in our churches today. And so Paul's like, oh no, oh please no, don't, don't preach the gospel. So Paul's like, look, Oh no, I can't believe this. Why would you preach the gospel? Oh no, please don't hurt me. We got a kid's book at my house. It's like, oh no, don't throw me into the briar patch. You know that story? Please no, not the briar patch. Oh no, you're gonna throw me in prison? You're gonna chain somebody to me? I'm just gonna tell them about Jesus. Can you think of a worse assignment than being chained to Paul? <laughs> it's like 24 seven. Paul, what, what's going on? Have I told you about Jesus lately? Oh, for crying out loud, yes. Can we talk about something, anything else? I got nothing. Let's talk about Jesus. You think that your friend who's trying to sell you essential oils on Facebook is annoying? They have nothing, <laughs> nothing on Paul, okay? And it's not, just, it's not just the guard, okay? It's everybody else. Look at verse 13. He says, everyone else. In other words, anybody who's hearing the story, because this is, this is big news. This guy, Paul, he has been arrested for what? Nothing. He hasn't done anything wrong. It is not illegal to be a Christian. You know why Paul is on trial? Because Christianity is on trial. Because Paul wouldn't stop talking about this guy, Jesus. So wait, 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 you're telling me there's this guy in prison and he's in, in, in prison for what? Why did they arrest him? Because he won't stop talking about someone. Who? This guy, Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, let me tell you. See, everyone else is hearing the gospel. And if that's not enough, Paul says, there are other believers. Most of the believers, he says, in the church are now moving with a newfound courage and boldness and fearlessness to proclaim the gospel. Not some, not many, most of the brothers. I mean, come on, Paul. We're trying to persecute you here. Can you just, just give us a break, man? We're trying to persecute. We're trying to make your life miserable and hard. Can you just complain about something, the food maybe? They're in Rome. The food's great. 
Maybe, maybe it's, it's that, that, that shackle around your leg. Maybe it's chafing or maybe you don't like the weather. Is there any, we're trying to persecute you, Paul. Is there anyone, honestly, is there anyone more aggravating to try to persecute than the Apostle Paul? Because you can't beat him. You can't win against Paul because he's not playing your game. The Apostle Paul lives his life like my three-year-old plays chess. You ever play chess with a three-year-old? We got a chessboard for Christmas. My six-year-old and nine-year-old, uh, older kids, they're learning how to play chess, learning some basic rules. My three-year-old, though, loves chess. He never loses. Because his idea of chess is, knocks all your guys down, grabs the king, and says, I win. He's not playing by your rules. He doesn't care about your rules. The Apostle Paul is not playing by your rules. And that, that is what it looks like to keep the main thing the main thing. To keep the main thing the main thing, to have this single-minded focus of advancing the gospel means that you are playing a game that nobody else is playing. You are not playing the world's game any longer. And it looks a little crazy, right? You look at Paul's life, it doesn't make a lot of sense from a worldly perspective. From a chess perspective, my three-year-old has no idea how to play chess, but if you know the game, if you know his game, if you know Paul's game, it makes all the sense in the world. See, that's what it means. That's what it looks like to keep the main thing the main thing. You know the game. You know the objective. I was uh, in um, Oxford, England, uh, several years ago, and I was uh, doing a study abroad. And uh, I came across this, this field, and there was a bunch of guys playing cricket. Okay, I know nothing about cricket. I, I grew up playing baseball, which is the closest thing to cricket. I mean, bat, ball, kind of, not really. I know nothing about cricket, and I'm watching this game. They're decked out in their white uniforms, and it is, it is nonsensical to me. I have no idea what's happening. I left for like three or four hours. I came back. I said, who won? They're still playing. I said, who won the first game? They said, this is the first game. Okay. So I have no idea how cricket is played, but I can only imagine, I can only assume that if I knew the rules, if I knew the game, and the objective, then what I'm watching would make sense. You track it with me? Suddenly, I get it. If I knew how the game was played, I knew the objective, I knew the rules, then I'd watch and be like, okay, they're winning, they're losing, I see what's happening. You know what would not work? You know what would be a complete disaster? Is if I walked out onto the field and I said, guys, you're missing the rules, you got the wrong rules, and I tried to force them to use baseball rules to play cricket. It'd be disaster, because they're not playing baseball, they're playing cricket. You can't mix the rules. It'd be all confusing, it would, it would make any sense, It'd be frustrating, aggravating. Church, can I tell you something? We're like cricket players who keep trying to play the, by the world's rules of baseball. God has called us to a mission, to a particular game, to advance the gospel. That is the game, that is the objective, but we're playing by these rules over here that the world keeps giving us. And guess what, it looks like a mess. Our lives are frustrating and confused. So what are you living for? I'm not really sure, kind of trying to win at both things, all the, yeah, what a disaster. See, for, for Paul, Paul, everything that happens to him, all of his circumstances, whether he's in prison or out of prison, whether he's sick, whether he's healthy, 
Whatever he does, all the decisions he makes, they are all part of the one game, the one objective. That's what it looks like to keep the main thing, the main thing. You know the game you're playing and the objective. Christian, do you know what game you're playing? Do you know what your objective is? See, we get really, really distracted. We get really, really distracted. I used to coach baseball. Maybe I will again when my life isn't quite so chaotic with four kids. But when I coached my two younger, or my two older sons' baseball teams, trying to keep the attention of a four, five, or six-year-old on a baseball field is a heroic feat. Some of you guys have been there. You're trying to keep, I got a second baseman here like this. You know, the outfielders out there like literally running after squirrels. And so what do you do as a coach? What do you say? You say, guys, head in the game. Guys, baseball ready. Baseball ready. You'll hear it all the time at games. Baseball ready. Why? Because you know that the guy at the plate might just get lucky and hit a line drive and kill the second baseman. You're trying to keep him alive. It's for safety. Baseball ready, guys. See, as a society, we have become a people who are five-year-olds playing second base. And we are so easily distracted. There's always another notification on my phone buzzing. There's always an email to check. There's always a, phone, a picture to post. There's always another project, another goal, another prize to chase after. There's always another game to watch. There's always something else vying for my attention. And in the age of social media, and our phones, like these are literally re rewiring the way that we think, the way that we do life. And we become so distracted that we actually begin to just crave that distraction because distraction actually gives us a little shot of dopamine. It's literally a drug. Entertainment and distraction are the drug of our society, of our day. And so as a result, it becomes almost impossible for us to think of our lives as one big idea. It is almost impossible for us to, to think of our lives as having one unifying theme, if you will. Think of it like this. Instead of my life being a whole series of little games, that my, my life is one big game with one objective. That it, instead of having a meta-narrative, I'll use that word, this idea of a big story, one story from beginning to end, birth to death, instead we become enslaved to what Alan Noble calls micro-narratives. These little mini-games, mini-themes, mini-goals that are, that are only loosely, if at all, connected and related to one another, and they're all punctuated by success or failure. Have you ever felt like your life is a series of misadventures? You're not even sure how they're all related. You're just kind of running from one thing to the next. It's just a sprint from the next thing to the next thing to the next thing. And, and at this point, you've been doing it for so long that you only have this loose, vague awareness of how they're even connected, what any of it's even for. See, we've be, we have succumbed to the allure of distraction, of entertainment, of these micro-narratives that we play day after day after day. In fact, moment by moment by moment. And this is not how God created us to live. And you don't have to turn there, but in Ephesians 4, 
there's this passage where the Apostle Paul is describing the organization of the church. And he talks about how some are called to be pastors and teachers and apostles and, and evangelists. And he's describing the organization of the church. And he says that the goal of the church is to equip the people of the church. And that the goal beyond that is maturity. And then he describes maturity this way. Listen to what it, how he says what, it, what maturity sounds like, what it looks like. He says this, we will no longer be infants. We will no longer be five-year-olds playing second base. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. You ever see a, a toddler try to walk in the wind? I have one at home. It's hilarious. Right? He says, you don't have to live that way. In fact, you shouldn't. It's maturity. Maturity is characterized by focus and stability. Maturity in Christ is characterized by focus and maturity, excuse me, of stability. That we no longer be infants tossed back and forth. We're not, we're not chasing after everything that we hear or everything that we see well, maybe I believe this, or maybe this is what life is about. Ooh, shiny object, let me run over there. He said, we're focused. We know what the game is. We know what our objective is. We're not baseball ready, we're mission ready. You see, not all of us are convinced that this is really our mission. I think it's really easy to read a passage like this and hear a sermon on a passage like this and we go, okay, that's Paul. Yeah, that's an ideal. That's nice. It's not, really, it's not really what I'm called to. And in fact, if you're there on this past week and Dr. Chris Nonikin's talking about the missionaries, listen, you got three options when you hear a sermon like that. You kind of have either one, you're going to become a missionary because you're like, wow, I guess that's what I've got to do. Or you feel really guilty about not becoming a missionary. Or what are we left with? We just kind of read it and go, that's not for me. So we read a passage like this, and I think where we get off is, where we veer off is, we begin to wrongly assume a one-to-one -one correlation between Paul's ministry and our own. Like we can't imagine any other way. Well, Paul is involved in evangelizing the unreached, so therefore, when we're called to be on mission, that's what it means. He's called to, the, to, to plant churches, so that's what it means. But see, there, there's different ways to be involved in the mission, we can all be part of the same mission, but all do it in different ways. There's this um, terrible dichotomy. It's a terrible untruth within the church. Can I tell you what it is? That there is a sac sacred secular division. And for years and centuries, it looked like this line right here between the guy up here and the people out there. And we have to reject that. You know, Peter, in his letter to the church, he says that all of us are called to be priests. We are, by virtue of being believers, we are a priesthood of believers called to declare the praises of God who delivered us from darkness into everlasting light. Do you see what he's saying? He says we are all called to be priests. It's not layperson priest. Priests, you are priests. You are called to declare the praises of God who delivered you from darkness into light. It's the role of every single one of us, but, 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 but we do it differently. Look, on the baseball field, not everybody plays the same position. Not everybody plays pitcher. Not everybody plays outfield. 
Not everybody's batting at the same time. So you're not missionaries. So you're not pastors. Praise God. We don't need more of those people. I'm, I'm kidding. Can I say something real quick? A little, little side note to redeem that moment. I pray to God that the next generation of missionaries is coming out of this church. I pray to God that there would be a movement out of Grace Bible Church that would be so disproportionate to the size of our church numerically. It would just be ridiculous. People who would rise up and would say, I'm called to go and to reach the people who've never heard the name of Jesus. I pray to God that that happens, okay? But if you're not a missionary, you're not a pastor, praise God for that because you have people that you know that I don't know. And I have people that I know that you don't know. So there. You live in a neighborhood I don't live in, and I live in a neighborhood you don't live in. You have a job I don't have, and I have a job you don't have. You have areas of influence and platform that I don't have, and vice versa. See, it is a team sport here, guys. But we can play all different positions, and yet still play the same game with the same objective. That's what it looks like to keep the main thing the main thing. You know the game, you know the objective. Christian, do you know what game you're playing? Do you know what your objective is? See, this is why the Apostle Paul, he can look at his life, he can look at all of his circumstances, he can look at, at prison or beatings or sickness or health, whatever it is. He can look at all the decisions that he's making in life and he makes all of it makes sense within this one theme, this one big idea that his life is about advancing the gospel and he sees everything through that perspective. This is why later in the same letter to the Philippians, he can say, all that stuff that I, I acquired, everything that the world says you have to have to be successful, he says, man, I had it all. Everything that I counted as gain, the education, the, the, the privilege, the prestige, the status, everything that he had, he says, I count all of that as loss. It is meaningless. It is dunk to me compared to knowing Jesus. But Paul, what about prison? Oh, that's gain. Come again? What about suffering, Paul? Yeah, that's gain as well. How about death, Paul? He says, yeah, death too. That is for my gain if it advances the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I'm not living by the world's rules. I'm not playing the world's games. Don't you get it? Paul, where did you get these crazy rules anyway? Where did you get this crazy game? Well, I learned it from this guy named Jesus. And he didn't play by the world's rules either. And the world killed him for it. By the way, the world doesn't like it when you don't play its game. The world will hate you if you don't play its game. You don't play by the world's rules, it will mock you, it will ridicule you because you look crazy to the world. And the world will persecute you and it might even try to kill you. It might even succeed in killing you. How's that for a pep talk? Glad you came. It killed Jesus because he refused to play by its rules. But can I tell you something? In that moment, when his enemies thought they had given Jesus his ultimate defeat, hanging on the cross. They said, we won! He's dead! And Jesus said, not so fast. 
That was his greatest victory, and to prove it, he rose from the dead. And in that, he freed all of us who believe in him, all of us who who have trusted him by faith and through grace, that he gives to us this gospel message. For all of us, he has set us free. We don't have to play by the world's rules anymore. We don't have to play by its game. We have been freed from that. The gospel sets us free and gives us a new game to play. Can I tell you something? This is my story. This is my story. Years ago, if you'd asked me, what has Jesus done in your life? How has God changed your life? I probably would have said, well, I, I've prayed to receive Christ when I was really young, and here's how God has you know, faithfully led me, and that's all true. But in the last three or four years, this is what I talk about. People ask me, how has Jesus changed your life? I tell them about this, that I used to chase after everything the world said I had to chase after. I had to be successful. I had to get the best grades and go to the best school and, and win at everything that I did. Anybody else like that? Yeah, that was my story. I got to chase after it because that's what the world says. I was playing by the world's rules, but then Jesus changed me and he released me from that. And he set me free. He said, you don't have to play by the rules anymore. I don't have to live up to the world's standards, praise God, because I don't. And I don't have to dance to the tune of the micro-narratives that the world is playing. Instead, I can live for the only story that actually matters, and that's his. And when I think about my kids, this is what I think about. Maybe you've got kids, maybe you've got grandkids, maybe you're not there yet. And I don't want my kids to, to play by the world's rules. I want them to live a life, listen, I want them to live a life that cannot be defeated. I want them to live a life where they cannot lose. And I'm telling you, if you live for the gospel, to advance the gospel, you can't lose. The game's already won. See, if you try to play by the world's rules, you're gonna lose. If you try to live for happiness and success and comfort, I got bad news for you. You will eventually lose. You can be winning for a long, long time, but you're playing against the house and against, eventually the house always wins. Listen, have you ever thought, really thought, about the fact that everything that the world says, this is what you need to be a success, to know that your life matters, to know that you mean something, that you're important, everything on that list that the world holds up, none of it lasts. None of it is gonna make it to the next life. I don't care what kind of accolades you've collected or houses or toys or vacations or even love the way that the world describes it or how much money you've got. When you cross that line from this life into the next, Jesus is gonna be waiting there and he's not gonna ask you about your 401k or the vacations you took or what college you went to. I know they always tell you in school like your GPA doesn't matter. It doesn't. He's not gonna ask you. You know what he's gonna ask? How did you use the time that you had? Were you advancing the gospel or were you distracted? Were you mission ready? Or were you out in the outfield doing this? Whose game are you playing? Listen, some of you, you feel utterly defeated by life. Some of you, you feel like you're huge successes. That's great. I hope it's for the right reasons. Some of you, though, you feel like your life is a failure, you feel like your life is defeated. You feel imprisoned and in chains. Maybe it's to a job or a boss or an illness. Maybe it's your financial situation. Maybe it's a hurt, a scar that you bear that never seems to fully heal. 
God would say to you, stop playing by the world's rules. Whatever you have, if you're advancing the gospel, you win. Whatever hurt you feel like you have, that you have, whatever disappointment, whatever failure, he says, man, I use all of that. I use all of that. It doesn't define you. What defines you is the gospel. And the gospel can't be defeated. If you live your life to advance the gospel, you will look crazy to the world. It will dangle its rules over there and it will dangle all the success over there and say, this is what you're supposed to live for. This, this, this over here. And they're going to say, what are you doing? I know guys who have given up promotions, good promotions in huge companies where they could have made significantly more money because they said, yeah, but I think God's called me to this place in my job so that I can reach these people or so that I can use my time to do these things. I know people who have suffered unbelievable tragedies in their lives and then they have seen God use them to reach people who've suffered similar tragedies. I've seen people who've had debilitating illnesses, terminal illnesses, and they've taken that and they've said, I'm gonna use this to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, it's not a loss. If that's your game, if that's your objective. Christian, what is your game? Whose game are you playing? What's your objective? And in just a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together. And when we come to, to communion, this is, I'll let the band, you guys can come on up. I'm gonna, when we come here, this is a celebration of the gospel. See, the gospel is all about grace. It's, it's not about what you've done or what you can do. It's not about what you've earned or what you deserve. You can't lose because the gospel is undefeatable. It's already won. You can't lose what you didn't win to begin with. Jesus did all of that. And so the gospel isn't about what you have succeeded at in life, what you've earned, what you've deserved, or how you failed. It is about the grace and the mercy that waits for us at the foot of the cross. And so we're gonna take communion. We're gonna sing here. Let me pray for us. Lord, until your gospel advances in our lives, our lives will never advance the gospel. And so we come back to this table this morning and we're reminded of the gospel because it's where it starts. To not be infants tossed about by the wind, we have to be moored in the gospel and for the gospel to be that mooring in our life, it has to be sunk deep into our hearts and so Lord, that's where we begin. And I pray right now that as we prepare to receive communion that you would be doing this work in our hearts. You would be reminding us of the truth of the gospel that we did not deserve your grace. We did not deserve your mercy. But Jesus, you poured out your blood. You poured out your life for us so that we could have eternal life, so that we have the forgiveness of sins and that we would not have to play by the world's rules any longer. Praise God. Praise God. Lord, we love you. Amen.